Have you ever went home from church and wondered if you fully understood the lesson? Did I really understand what was being taught and, and preached? This series that we are involved in, which is only a couple more lessons or so in this series of why we believe what we believe about different things, today is fasting. Something we don't hear a whole lot about uh, in teaching and, and preaching and things a lot of times. Sometimes there's Bible studies on it. But why do we believe what we believe about fasting? The week prior to Easter and uh, to many religious people, it would be a religious holiday, but it's most certainly not. We are gathered here today on the first day of the week for the resurrection of our Lord, and we do that every, every Sunday, uh, not just one time out of the year. But in the next week or so, there's going to be religious people who are going to start that process on Palm Sunday. And they're going to move throughout the week and they're going to look at the day on Wednesday as Lent or Ash Wednesday, meaning to mourn. And there will be people who throughout that week will fast and one might ask the question, why are, you know, why, why are they fasting? Why should we fast or uh, fast at all? And when we come to Matthew chapter 6 and our Lord speaking about fasting, he's talking about the fasting here. Nowhere does he command it. Nowhere does he condemn it but he does commend it. And I think that we have to look at that very closely. And he does, and what he does condemn concerning the thought of fasting. Now, many of us are aware of fasting, these fasting diets. Uh, I've done that one time. I thought I was going to die. Uh, that's not easy to not eat. Uh, that's hard. That's very hard. Um, but he does give us, he does condemn the wrong motives. He instructs us, he gives instructions on how to uh, fast for all the right reasons. And he assumes that his disciples will fast. And even us today at some times might fast. When we go to the Sermon on the Mount, our Lord discussed always, all the way through and in the New Testament, he discussed his righteousness or compares his righteousness to the Pharisees. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 20, his disciples' righteousness, he told them, must exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. 
So this morning, as we discuss this topic together, I want to give you a few observations. Number one, I think we have to go to the Old Testament. Fasting in the Old Testament, they did fast in the Old Testament, and, and a lot of times, and through our studies and through our readings, we think that that's all they ever did. They always went around fasting for some reason or the other. But really, in the Old Testament, there was only one fast that was commanded, and that was the Day of Atonement. In Leviticus 16 and 29, they were to afflict their souls. They were to be penitent people during that time. And when you look at Zechariah 8 and verse 19, the Jews, they had national fasting days. They fasted on the fourth month, the fifth month, the seventh month, and the tenth month. And by the time that we come to our Lord, and in the New Testament in Luke 18 and verse 12, the Jews, if you remember, as the Pharisee says, he fasted two times a week, once on Thursday and once on Monday. And their thoughts concerning that was that on, <clears throat> on Thursday, that's when Moses ascended on the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments, and then, of course, on Monday was the day he descended from the mountain. And that's the days that they would fast. If you again remember the, the Pharisee who was disclaiming his righteousness, he said there that he fasted twice a week, if you remember. So as we look through these scriptures today, we find that in, in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 12 and verses 16 through 23, David fasted and prayed over his child, if you remember, that he had with Bathsheba. He would not eat. He was in intense fasting. He was in intense praying for that child. And if you remember in Ezra chapter 10 and verse 3, the people, Ezra was fasting there because of the people and their transgressions that would eventually lead a wave back to uh, their home. And if you remember, Zerubbabel, uh, Zerubbabel uh, led the first wave back, and then Ezra led the second. When you go to Jonah chapter 3 and verse 5, the people entered into a fast after Jonah's sermon because they were so intense of what he had taught them and what he had showed them in his teachings. Then, of course, you come to Acts chapter 10 and verse 30. Cornelius, a religious man who gave his alms, who was about doing what's right, he fasted. Why? Because he was searching for the truth. It was something that was important to him and that he wanted to and focus all of his attention upon finding the truth. In the Old Testament this morning, we must understand that there were two types of fasting. There was an absolute fast, which meant nothing at all, eating or drinking, similar to the, the, the Day of Atonement. And then, of course, there was a partial fast, that where one would drink water and not eat. If you remember, Daniel was involved in that in Daniel 20, for about 21 days. 
that he did that. If you remember the Saul of Tarsus, when he was on the road to Damascus and he, he went into, he told him to go into the city, that he was in fasting, if you remember, and he was in that absolute. He was so broken down. He was so discouraged, or not discouraged. He was so intense of wanting to find out what he was doing, what he was needed to do, and how to fix the things that he had messed up in his life. And waiting on Ananias, if you remember, that he wasn't eating or drinking or doing anything. All he wanted to do is get things right. In today's world, one might choose to partially fast. But what about our Lord? When talking about these subjects, we must look at our Lord concerning fasting. Our Lord fasted. When we find it in the New Testament, there are times in the Bible, holy men of God were so focused that they, they seen the need to go into a fast. If you remember in Exodus 34, in verse 28, Moses went up on the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments for 40 days and 40 nights. What did he do? He fasted, didn't he? When you go into the book of 1 Kings, in chapter 19, in verse 8, Elijah there, as he was running from uh, Jezebel, he was 40 days and 40 nights fleeing from her, and he fasted. You go into Luke chapter 4 and verses 1 and 2, when our Lord was being tempted in the wilderness for 40 days, he fasted, didn't he? And then you move to our passage that was read just a moment ago for us in Matthew 6 and verses 16 through 18. tells us don't do it to be seen of men. When you fast, you need to do it secretly because God will bless you. And those who do it openly and publicly are seeking the blessings of men. And our Lord is going on to say that that's the only blessing that you'll receive when you do it that way. But God will bless you. In Matthew chapter 9 and verses 14 through 17, our Lord is in the house of Levi, Matthew. He has called Matthew from the tax collector's booth, and he's going to be one of our Lord's disciples. And while eating and enjoying that time together, that fellowship, if you read on and you, just, and you look at that scripture, John the Baptist's disciples come and they ask, Why do John's disciples fast and yours don't? Lord, you're, Jesus, you're here eating and not fasting and you're even eating with sinners and your disciples are not fasting but John's is fasting and yours don't. And they were basically saying, and they were saying, John's disciples are seen to be more holy. 
They're, to be, they're seen to be more about the religious things that you're teaching and doing the right thing. And, and so why are your disciples not, not fasting and why are, not, are they not engaging in this activity? And notice our Lord answers. He says, as long as I'm here, they need not to fast. But when I am gone, they will fast. In their sorrow, they will fast. So we can see and we can raise the the thought this morning. Fasting is not a ritualistic ceremony. Fasting is not a test of fellowship. Fasting is not righteousness or salvation. It is something that we must do and do it in the right way. When we choose, if we choose to do it, that we must do it in the right way. I cannot stand here this morning and tell you that you have to fast or you'll be lost. But there are some who will teach that in our religious world. So this morning, you think about it. You go back to Mark 9 and verse 29. When the disciples there were trying to cast out the demons and they couldn't and they were asking the Lord about it. And he says, this kind of demon can only be cast out by what? Praying and fasting. So we ask ourselves this morning, because our Lord and His followers fasted, can we fast? Matthew chapter 6 and verse 2. When you do, the scripture there says, when you do your own deeds, and you go on down to verse 5 of Matthew chapter 6, when you pray, and you go on to verse 16 in Matthew 6, And when you fast, our Lord is telling us that fasting can be a benefit for for them then and even us now. Now again, you go back to Mark 9. It was a great benefit. This demon can only be, and this can be cast out through prayer and fasting. And when we find ourselves fasting or we choose to do that in our religious world, in our life, we need to make sure that we have the right motives and that we have the right things and set in order to do it according to what our Lord has taught us. Our Lord is telling us that it can be a great benefit. What about the apostles? Our Lord fasted. The apostles fasted. And you look at Acts chapter 9 and verse 9. Saul of Tarshish. 
after meeting the Lord on the road of Damascus. He went into the city to be told what he would do to be saved. And you go on into Acts 14 and verse 23, Paul and Barnabas, they fast and they pray before appointing elders there in the church. An intense need. An important decision was going to be made and they focused all of their efforts rather on eating, rather on what I'm going to get and what I'm going to eat the next time or whatever. They, he, he directed, they directed their thoughts and, and all of their energy upon making the right decision to appoint elders. And you go on into Acts 27 and verse 21. Paul was on that ship. It was about to become shipwrecked. The sailors on board were, were fasting and praying as well as Paul. And he was telling them that it's going to be all right. And I guess that we could say during this time, in this example we're looking at here, there's a time when fasting and prayer go hand in hand. What time would be a time that prayer and fasting would go hand in hand today? Well, these folks, they were afraid. They were afraid of what was going to happen, what could happen. And they found themselves in fasting and, and in a great fear. And there are many times in our own lives today that we may choose to fast because of that very reason. But what about the times that maybe when our, our lives are a spiritual shipwreck? Are there times that you and I could choose to do that? To focus all of our energy and to focus all of our thoughts and our prayers and things on what's going on in our life. But you see Paul there in many times. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 27. He speaks of the marks of his apostleship when he fasted. 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 5 as well. And then he goes on in 1 Corinthians 11 in verse 1. And Paul says, as you are followers or imitate me and the Lord. So this morning can we say that if, if the apostles and the early church and our Lord and Paul, again being one of those apostles chose to fast in different situations in our life, or their lives, should it not be a choice for us today? Should it not be something that you and I would consider in our own lives when those certain times come in our lives? I spoke of Saul Tarsus. Three days he was fasting, wasn't he? He was seeking the Lord. 
He wanted no other anything in his life to be in the way to find the truth. So he chose to fast. You think about when he was there that he was broken down. It talked about his spirit being weak and broken and probably the reason. He was a broken man. His life was, was a wreck. He had been persecuting Christians and he chose to fast. Number four, the early church fasted. <coughs> our Lord and the apostles, Jesus, our Lord and the apostles and in the Old Testament and the early church. In Acts 13 and 1 through 3, Paul and Barnabas was about to be sent out on their first missionary journey. We find them fasting. The elders blessed them. In Acts 14 and 21 through 25, the early church in Galatia, in appointing elders again, fasting and prayed. And when you go read Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 5, a man and woman is to be separated for whatever reason that their marriage is not working. They are told to pray and to fast while they're separated. Because there should be one objective, and that is to be reconciled to their mate that they chose and promised to be with for the rest of their lives. And it would have been an earnest, intense fasting of what that should be. It was once said that the difference in prayer and fasting is prayer is like the light bulb. That when this room is filled with darkness, that someone flips the light switches. And that light touches everything in this room. You think about every object in this room is touched by the light provided by each light bulb. It's all spread out, it's dispersed. But when one puts prayer and fasting together, and fasting is like a laser. It focuses on one thing. And it permeates that one thing. Whether it be your marriage or whether it be some life difficulty or whatever it may be. One can choose to fast. And ask for the Lord's help and wait on the Lord and, 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 and fasting and, and waiting and studying God's word and praying. 
And especially when two people are considering to pull apart their marriage. Is your marriage that important to you to spend your time and fast? If you are facing that today. So what about us today? Should we fast or should we not? I would like to offer a few suggestions to you. Why should we fast? If we should fast, we would need to pray earnestly. When's the last time that you prayed earnestly? When's the last time you prayed earnestly? Maybe it was beside the bed of a sick child. Or maybe it was beside the bed of that loved one. I could name a few times in my life that I prayed earnestly, so earnestly that I didn't want to eat. I didn't want to know what was going on in the world on social media. I didn't care what was going on in the world elsewhere. And for one to come to that point of why should we fast today if we choose to, It's just when we don't know what else to do. Number two, to meditate on God's word only. A time to reflect on God's word, to read and to study his will, his ways, especially if we're struggling with something in our own life. Number three, to express the sorrow for our sins. In prayer, we, 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 we pour out our souls out to God through prayer, earnestly praying. Maybe number four, to grieve a loss. You know, the first three times that fasting is mentioned in the Old Testament, it's associated with bereavement and the loss of a loved one. Sometimes when we lose someone we love, we just don't want to eat. We just want to be alone with the Lord. And that's what fasting is is I'm alone with the Lord. And it's not to say that if one chooses to fast that God is just going to miraculously take and change your, change your situation around immediately. But you know, I think that's why it's pertinent and important 
that we spend time alone with the Lord. Being that laser to focus in on one thing in our life. Number five, to put God first in our lives. Spiritual things, let me say this again, spiritual things are way more important, folks, than material things. A whole lot. No matter how great prayer and fasting as we close today, no matter how great prayer and fasting is, it cannot save us. It is not salvation. Because if it was, think about this. Saul of Tarsus could have been saved before Ananias even came to him. Because he was serious. He was a broken man. He was penitent. Again, he was devastated. He was contrite. And then Ananias comes and tells him, you know the story. Why tarest thou? Rise and be baptized, calling on the name of the Lord. Tells him what he's got to do to be saved. Prayer and fasting alone are not enough for salvation. You and I, this morning, we must be baptized for the forgiveness of our sins. Romans 10 and verse 17, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. We must believe in him. Believe and be baptized, Mark 16 and 16. Repent of those sins that are against him, as we read on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. As Peter told them what they needed to do. Confess his name as we read about the Ethiopian eunuch and be baptized into his body, Acts 22, verse 16, and live for him faithfully. But maybe you've done that and you've erred. You've sinned against the church and God a wide variety and a lot of people know that you have sinned and you've not been living like you should as a Christian. When people see that, as we talked about in our class this morning, people look at the church and God and religion in a different way. If that's what a Christian is, I'm just as good as they are. can come back to him. Repent and let us pray with you and for you that those sins may be removed. You know, when one has found himself out in sin, it's great that they find their way back to the Lord's church and the assembly. But you know what? Those sins are still present. Unless those sins are confessed and repented of, they're still there. Sometimes people think that time will take care of sin. 
if I do right long enough, all those sins back there will be forgotten. They might be by our people's minds. But God, let me guarantee you, God has them jotted down. He knows. And unless we repent and confess those sins, we will find ourselves on the wrong side of judgment because no sin will enter heaven. This morning, whatever your need may be, we encourage you to come as together we stand and as we sing.